Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to see how beautifully you've been working in these little ones' hearts throughout the week. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the promises that you said that Elijah will come and will proclaim a message that will bring all these young ones to the hearts of their fathers and their mothers. And the work that is going to be accomplished is going to be a great one. So as we are going to open your word this morning, we want to ask for your holy presence to be among us. Help us to learn, retain, and apply these things in our lives because we know that your coming is very soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's be praying for Pastor Kelly. He is in Kentucky today. He's preaching at a camp meeting there at uh, Red River Outpost Center. So we, we pray that uh, they will have a special blessing there. I was seeing in the chat uh, some were wondering where he was, so I decided that I would share where Pastor Kelly is. And uh, let's pray also for the, for the Grimms. Kevin Grimm lost uh, his sister this morning. So let's, uh, let's be praying. For those who know her, she's the one that uh, uh, worshipped at Coloma. Her name is Bernita. She, she passed away this morning. It was an untimely, unexpected death, which gives us one more reason uh, to look forward to Christ's soon coming. I have titled this message this morning, The Blessed Hope, The Imminent Return of Christ. A story is told of a young man who went to the library and grabbed a book. He loved reading, and he brought home a book. As he was reading, this book started troubling him. The reason is, there was a person in there who was the main character. He was going about uh, doing all sorts of mischief. He was killing people, he was robbing people, and all these wicked things. So as he was reading, he said, I don't want to see all this. This is so depressing. This is so disturbing. He was about to throw that book away. Some of you might know, might know this story. And an impression came to his mind and said to him, just go and read the last chapters or the last chapter. And he did that. He read the last chapters and they came, then the, in that chapter or in those chapters, an officer came in town, and that officer was wise, strong, and he was able to stop this guy and put him in prison, and he suffered the consequences of his actions. So this young man was so excited, and he, he decided to go back and read this book again. And this time, he was, in his, he, he was in his room, and as he was reading, he started saying it loud. He started saying, if only you knew what is going to happen to you, you'd stop all these things that you're doing. So he didn't realize that he was saying it loud, that the person next in the next room would hear him. And his parents heard him. They were so concerned, what's happening to our child? And when they opened the door, they went into the room and they asked him. And he explained. And they were all happy and encouraged him to continue and to finish reading this book. Why did I tell this story this morning? When you see all these bad things that are happening in this world, you might be tempted to be, to be depressed. You might be tempted to lose hope, to lose heart. But I want to tell you, my friends, go to the end of the book, the book that we're given by God, the Holy Word of God, to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. It says, I saw the 
new Jerusalem and the new heavens coming down. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And people are going to live for eternal life in peace, happiness, and joy. So this morning we have this blessed hope. But on that, on that, on that note, on that verse in Revelation, she says here, when everything is cleansed, great controversy, chapters, uh, chapter, the, the chapter, it's the last chapter of the book, Grand Controversy, page 678, paragraph 3, it says, the great controversy is ended, sin and sinners are no more, the entire universe is clean, one pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate. In their unshadowed beauty, the perfect joy and declare that God is love. Amen? It is my prayer and it is my hope that we are all looking forward to this, to this day when Christ is going to come and make all things new. In Titus 2, verse 11 to verse 13, the Bible says this is our memory text or our scripture reading. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying godliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the, in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So from that text, you can see that we are not only looking for, forward to the coming of Jesus, but when we look forward to the coming of Jesus, it's going to do something in our hearts because we know that there is no sin that is going to be in heaven. There is not going to be any sin that is going to be in the new earth and in the new heavens. So What's going to happen when we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, we are drawn closer to Jesus Christ that we see our ungodliness, the things that we should work out here on this planet before Jesus, Jesus comes. Spiritual prophecy tells us that the only thing that we are going to inherit or that we're going to take with us to heaven it is the character, and I believe with all my heart, and the scripture testifies that the only thing that we're going to take is the character of Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, let this mind be in, in you, which was in, which was in Christ Jesus. So let's be preparing for Christ soon coming, the glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As I was looking into some historical documents, I was reminded of the story of our pioneers, how they loved to see Jesus coming in their lifetime. A story is told that James White, when he would come to church, or probably he was preaching that day, he would go up and down the aisle, or he would go down the aisle singing this song that he composed. You will see the Lord coming in a few more days. They all believed that Jesus was going to come very soon. And another story from, our, from the Advent movement that I love is the story of Charles Fitch. Now Charles Fitch was a powerful, powerful speaker. It is told that at one evangelistic series that he was running in Cincinnati, 5,000 people would attend his meetings every single night. Charles Fitch was an Advent 
Adventist preacher and Advent preacher the, the time that was before the great disappointment. So he believed with all his heart that Jesus was going to come on October 22, 1844. But we all know now that Jesus wasn't coming to this planet Earth. He was coming to his Father and beginning a work that he's still doing today of interceding between us and the Father in the most holy place. But as Charles was preaching, on the 14th of October, he preached to the people that were there and they were baptizing people. It, it was cold that day that even the water itself was cold. But there were so many people that were giving their lives to Jesus and Charles had an amazing heart for souls. So he, he couldn't come out of the water because he wanted to baptize these people that were getting ready to meet their savior on October 22, 1844. So because of that experience, staying in the water for such a long time, a few days later, he contracted a fever and Charles died. But whilst he was on his deathbed, Charles said these words. He said, I believe in the promises. So he didn't die complaining. He didn't die sad. He died a man of faith, believing that in a few more days, Jesus would raise him up. We know that the great controversy the great controversy didn't end October, 8, October 22, 1844. Jesus didn't come. But here's something that fascinated me with the story of Charles Fitch. His wife, as she was talking to one of his daughters, and probably she was asking where daddy was, and she said, don't worry, honey. Dad is going to be resurrected in a few more days. In a few more days, in eight days, Jesus is going to come again. This was the faith that our pioneers had. They all wanted to see Jesus come in their lifetime. Why am I sharing this story? I'm sharing this story because it is my prayer that this faith, this hope be refreshed in your minds. It is very easy to be distracted by a lot of things that Satan puts in our lives. It is very easy to lose sight of the kingdom that is going to come when Jesus comes to take us home. It is very, very easy to look and concentrate on things of this world that are material. But I want to give you a challenge this morning. Let us look up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul says, our redemption draweth nigh, even more nigh than the day we believed. So let it be that these promises will be refreshed in your hearts. In the book of Acts, when Jesus was about to ascend to heaven, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel? And Jesus said to them, no, it is not for you to know the times that God has set. But then he gave them the great commission to take the gospel to the whole world. And it says here, now when he had spoken these things while they watched. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus who was, who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus, as he was taken from them into heaven, we're told by the spirit of prophecy that before he was 
he was taken before the cloud came between him and the disciples that they could not see him. He stretched out his arms as if he was comforting them and reassuring them that he was going to be with them to the end of the world. And the spirit of prophecy tells us in the book, Desire Phages, that these two angels that came and talked with the disciples, they were the same two angels that were with Jesus when he was doing his ministry on this planet Earth. So they were part of the, of the procession that came to take Jesus with, with, with them. So these promises, they came, they were communicated to us through these angels. Jesus talked about him coming back throughout his ministry. He talked about the kingdom that was going to come throughout his ministry. And these promises are sure and they will be fulfilled because God said it. We're going to skip this quotation and, um, and go to the next verse. John chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 3. One of, the, one of my, my, my favorite promises in the Bible. The Bible says, Let not your heart or your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again and do what? And receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be, you may be also. These are beautiful promises, my dear brothers and sisters. Let these promises be refreshed in your hearts, because Jesus said he will come again. You remember the title for this message is The Blessed Hope. But the subtitle is The Imminent Return of Christ. That word imminent means Jesus is coming not only soon, but he's not going to tarry. He is coming. He is coming even at the door. There's a hymn that we used to sing. I don't hear it a lot these days even at the door, at the door, at the door. How many of you remember that song? Even at the door, I see some hands. Jesus is coming very soon. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, it reads, and behold, I come, what? Quickly, and my reward is with me to give every, everyone according to, to his work. Jesus himself said, behold, I come, I'm coming very quick. So if you are losing heart, if you are getting discouraged, I want to tell you this morning, pray to God that the Spirit of God will, will revive that longing, that desire in your heart to see Jesus come in your lifetime. Amen? Jesus has to come. Jesus has to come. We cannot talk about this message of Christ's coming without touching a little bit on the signs of his coming. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, General Conference Session 1899, you find this in the General Conference Bulletin, February 21, 1899, page 44, paragraph 12. He made a very interesting statement. He was giving a, a report on the health work, and he was talking about this, um, he was talking about vaccination and, uh, and smallpox. He said, the Lord is not coming to destroy the world. You might be saying, oh, pastor, there's going to be a lot of destruction when Jesus comes because... No mountain is going to remain on, on, on earth. No stone is going to remain on top of, of the other. But I want to tell you that distraction, if we stop there, we will paint a wrong picture of our God. Listen to what 
Dr. Kellogg say, the Lord is not coming to destroy the world, but to save it. He is coming to save the world from what would come to it if it went on. How many believe this? If the world keeps going on where it's at now and the wickedness and everything that is happening to the world, there's going to be a lot of chaos. He goes on to say, we are coming down to a time of absolute confusion and destruction. Men are getting more and more subject to disease all the time. There's a lot of diseases. We are just getting out of a pandemic. And now they're reporting that there's more and more diseases that are concerning that are coming. The Bible and the spirit of prophecy predicted all this. Men are getting more and more subject to disease all the time. The world is coming to see that there is a there's a tremendous catastrophe before the race if something is not, is not done. If Dr. Kellogg would see this in 1899, how about now? There's a lot more things that are happening that show that Jesus is even is even at the door. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, the Bible says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a what? Like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die like manna. But my salvation will forever and my righteousness will be and my righteousness will not be abolished. So, as we look on the news, you see a lot of, about climate change, and a lot of people, they're recognizing that the earth is changing. The weather patterns are changing. Earthquakes are increasing. There's droughts. There's all sorts of things, floods. We don't have time to go into all the signs of Christ's coming, but if you look at this verse, there's one statement that explains it all. The earth is waxing old like a, like a garment. And you know that we human beings, when we go, get, grow old, one day if Christ tarries, we will die. So God is coming to save the world from what would become of it because of sin. The earth will continue to wax, to wax old. And Jesus has to come and intervene. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 to 27, one of the signs of Christ's coming. And as it was in the days of who? In the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of, of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed and destroyed them all. You might be saying, Pastor, what's wrong with, with, with marriage? What's wrong with eating? We eat all, all the time. We, after this presentation or other, after this sermon, you're going to eat lunch. What's wrong with all this? But there's something that was different about these people. After the fall of men, this is Patrick's and Prophets, page 91, paragraph 3. After the fall of men, after the fall, men chose to follow their own sinful desires. And as a result, crime and wretchedness rapidly increased. Neither the marriage relation nor the rights of property were respected. Whoever coveted the wives or the possessions of his neighbor took them by force, and men exulted in their deeds of, of violence. They delighted in destroying the lives or the life of animals 
and the use of flesh for food rendered them still more cruel and bloodthirsty until they came to regard the human life with astonishing indifference. If you look today at the rise of crime, it is very disturbing. There's a lot of shootings that are happening. You look on the news, there's a lot of things that are happening. You know, this might look very depressing, but I want to tell you Jesus knew that wickedness will abound at the end of time. But we should not end here. We should not end here, my brothers and sisters. There are promises that will help us to have encouragement whilst we see all these things happen. If you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 13 to verse 16, but before we go to this passage, the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. So these promises, we are going to see them in our minds and they're going to become real because of faith. In the book Education, there was a conversation that was recorded in there of a preacher and the Bishop of Canterbury. He's, the, the preacher was asking the, the, the preacher and someone who, who did theatricals, and the preacher was asking, why do you draw people so much and we who preach the gospel of God, we seem to be drawing less and less people. And this person said, it's because you talk of things that are real as though they were not real. And we talk of things imaginary as though they were real. That's why we draw a lot of people. My friends, we should talk about heaven because we know that heaven is real and when we talk about heaven, let it show in our lives and in our words and in our character that we are going to a home that is real. Paul says here in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received what? The promise. So Paul was talking about the heroes of faith. He talks about Abraham. He talks about all these heroes of faith. And he says, but having seen them, meaning the promises, afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and what? And pilgrims on this planet Earth. This is my prayer this morning, that you may see that we are strangers and pilgrims in this planet Earth of sin. He goes on to say in verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they, desired a they desire a better one. That is a, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their, their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16. When you dwell upon the promises of God, when you know that one day Jesus is going to come and bring with him, and bring with him all the, all, all the glory that the, the Father has given him, and take us to heaven and give us the beauties, the beauty of his majesty, you know that you're a pilgrim and you're a stranger on this planet Earth. It is my prayer that your hearts will be where Paul's heart was. And he says also in the same chapter, Chapter 11, the same chapter, 
verse 39 to 40. He says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony or a good report through faith, did not receive the, the promises. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from, from us. They without us, those who are asleep in the graves, without us, they would not receive the promises. There is our message of the state of the dead. No one dies and go to, goes to heaven. No one has an immortal soul. But we know that when the trumpet is going to sound, they are going to be resurrected, and they, together with us, we're going to be caught up together in the, in the cloud. So those who are asleep in the graves, we are delaying the promises that they are to receive. You might be saying, Pastor, how is that so? If you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of, of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness, and then the end will come. And Matthew chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 20, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to verse 20, it says, Go ye therefore and preach to all nations, teaching them what I have, what I have told you baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Ghost. So knowing that Jesus Christ is going to come and us preparing ourselves, there's no problem about that. But if you stop there, then you are being selfish and you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Because we must be like the Samaritan woman when she heard everything about herself from Jesus, she went and preached to the whole entire city saying, come see a man who had told me all that I have done. So if the indwelling presence of Christ is shining bright and bright in your life and in your heart, it gives you the desire to want to share this truth with your, with your neighbor, to share this truth with all those people that are dying without knowing Christ. In another place, Ellen White was given a vision and she saw the judgments of God coming down like balls of fire coming down from heaven. And there was destruction. And she, there were a company of people that came out to see all this and they said, oh, we knew that this was going to come on this planet Earth. And there were other people that were hearing them and they said, you knew all this? That it was going to come on this planet Earth and you did not tell us? My friend, that is going to be the saddest moment that there are other people who want to hear who would have accepted Christ if they only heard the simple truths that we have as the remnant church of God. So it is my prayer this morning that when you hear when Christ is moving upon your heart that you may have this desire to spread the gospel because they, without us, without finishing this work, Christ's coming will not be hastened. You and I have a part to play in hastening the coming of Christ. When I was little, some of you, when you hear all these things, you might be tempted to be afraid. When I was little, I used to have these dreams of Christ coming. But these, these dreams were not, were not so happy dreams because in those dreams, I would see myself running away and trying to hide. And I didn't want to have those dreams. My dad asked me, one day, and he said, have you ever had dreams of Christ coming? I said, no, because I knew that in these dreams, I wasn't seeing myself as one who was being part 
of those who are going to go to heaven. But one day, an evangelist came into our town and he preached the message of hope and how we can be part of Christ's coming. And it was such a beautiful message that at that time, I gave my life to Christ and I started having dreams of Christ coming and me being part of it. Friends, Christ's coming should not scare you. You know the reason why Christ's coming can be scary? is because we know that there is something in between me or between you and Christ that if he were to appear in the clouds today, that thing that you're cherishing, that sin that you're cherishing, will hinder you from seeing Christ. Will you give that sin to Christ that he may cleanse your heart? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We have already talked about this. Let's go to, to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says here in the Bible, God is not a man that he should do what? He should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. As he said, and, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? One of the best definitions of faith besides Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 by Paul is one that was said by A.T. Jones in the book Lessons on Faith. He said, faith is believing that God will do exactly what he said he would do. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Faith is believing that God will do exactly what he said he would do. So all these promises... God is going to do it because God does not lie. He cannot lie. His word is creative. If God says something, it happens because his word goes and does it. So Jesus is coming back again because God said it. Amen? First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, one of the beautiful, beautiful promises. But it is written, so Paul is referencing Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. He says here, but it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And if you go to the reference that Paul is referencing in Isaiah, Isaiah 64 verse 4, Isaiah gives this, this idea that the new heavens and the new earth are going to be more beautiful than the pre-fall world. I am looking forward to that time, my friends. My dear brothers and sisters, it is my prayer this morning that you look forward to that time as well. But what God did is something very amazing. He didn't leave us without a glimpse of, of what this beauty is going to be like. Through his servant, Ellen G. White, he gave us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. So the year was 1844 after the great disappointment and the Advent people, they needed some encouragement. And God had called, God called his servant, young Ellen by that time, she was still a teenager. And in December of that year, she was given a vision. It was her first vision. As she was in vision, she was, she was shown heaven and several things that were to happen. I'm gonna read the introduction that she, she says here uh, in the book, um, early, early writings, page 13, paragraph, 13, paragraph three. 
She says, as God has shown me the travels of the Advent people to the holy city and the rich reward to be given to to be given to those who wait the return, the return of their Lord from the wedding. It may be my duty to give you a short sketch of what God has revealed to me. The dear saints have many trials to pass through, but our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, will work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I have tried to bring back a good report and a few grapes from the heavenly Canaan, for which many would stone me as the, con as the congregation bad stone Caleb and Joshua for their report, Numbers 14, verse 10. But I declare to you, my brethren and sisters in the Lord, it is a goodly land and we are well able to go up and possess it. Amen. You know, Satan paints this picture that it is impossible or it is hard to go to heaven or to make it to heaven. You know why it's hard? Because we are trying to do it by our power and our strength. That's why it's hard. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are heavily laden and are labored, and I will give you rest. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life. So she is saying here, we can possess the land. I've come with a report, and some would dare stone me. Because the things that we're going to describe here, I'm going to share with you a story and a, a vision that, that she was shown in early writings uh, from page 14 to page, uh, to, to page 19. So she relates this vision that she was shown. She, as she went into vision, she started being lifted up above the earth. And she was looking for the Advent people and she could not find them. And she heard a voice saying, look up, look up higher. And there she saw the Advent people traveling on a narrow path from earth to heaven. And she describes this narrow path. She said, at the beginning of the path, there was a light that was shining throughout the path going all the way to the promised land. And in front of this company of people, there was Jesus leading them to the promised land. And she said this light that was at the beginning was, was the midnight cry. And if you remember the midnight cry from the parable of the ten virgins, the midnight cry says, Behold, he, he cometh. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And she said, as long as this light was at the beginning of of, of this path, they would see Jesus and their eyes would stay upon Jesus and they would stay focused and they would stay on the path. But some still grew weary and they said this light was from, not from God and they rejected the midnight cry. And as they did that, they lost sight of Jesus and they fell into the dark world. But this company that was following Jesus, Jesus would, as, as discouragement would come, Jesus would raise his hand and wave it, and then light would shine upon the path, and they would rejoice, hallelujah, and they would follow Jesus Christ. She's describing all this that she's being shown in the vision. Friends, we're traveling on the narrow path. Trials may come, but joy is going to come in the morning. You know, there are some people that are starting to doubt the principles 
or the doctrines that were given by God in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy, like the sanctuary and many other things that are clear in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy. They're starting to reject this light, which is the midnight cry. You know what's going to happen? They're going to lose sight of Jesus, and they're going to fall into this dark world. So let it be your prayer that this light and looking forward, looking at Jesus every single day, let it be your prayer that, Lord, help me to stay upon this path so that I will make it to heaven. If God is calling you to get rid of some of these things that will not fit on the narrow path, asking for strength and power to get rid of all these things because they are distractions. Satan will continue to bring them in our lives so that we'll focus upon them. They will crowd, they, 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 they will, they will crowd our spiritual lives and we'll be confused and then we'll not be able to prepare for Christ's coming in time. While she was describing that, she, shift, she shifts to a company, a small company that is going to leave in the last days before Christ comes, which is the 144,000. As I was looking on the chat from first service online, I saw some who were going back and forth, debating whether it's literal or symbolic. This is not the goal of this message, that you start debating whether it's literal or symbolic. The main goal this morning is to make you see the beauty of heaven and have you long to be part of that company of believers that are going, believers that are going to be saved and that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. God will continue to shine light upon his children and all these things will become very clear to those who love the Lord. You can be concentrating upon the number, whether it's literal or symbolic, that you lose sight of Christ. That is not the goal. And she says, the 144,000, the people that are going to live in the, in the last day, going through the time of trouble, God is going to pour his spirit in its fullness. And as that happens, their characters will be bright and shining and their faces and their countenance shining as that of Moses when he came down from, from the mountains. At that time, the wicked ones will be enraged against these and wanting to throw them into the prisons and wanting to kill them. But she says they were not able to touch us. As they were getting close and close to touch the company of God, they saw a cloud coming, a small cloud that was like the piece of a hand. And as the cloud was coming closer and closer, the cloud grew bigger and the cloud became glorious and majestic. And they saw that it was not just a regular cloud. They saw that it was a band of angels which were escorting Jesus coming. I long to see that day, my friends. As Jesus was drawing closer and closer and closer, they were more delighted to see their, their Savior coming with the clouds of heaven. And there Jesus stopped in the air. And she says, his eyes were like the eyes of fire. We get that from Revelation chapter, chapter 1. And she said, this was very fascinating to me. She said, those eyes... The eyes of fire, she describes them as eyes who would examine the lives of his people. And as they were being examined, the company of believers that were there, the 144,000, they said their faces grew pale because they knew that it was 
it was not going to be by their merits that they were going to stand in the judgment of God. And they said, who shall be able to, to stand? And then there was an awful silence, which I believe with all my heart that it is the silence that is talked about in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, where it said there was silence for half an hour. There was silence. And then Jesus said, those who have clean hands and pure hearts shall be able to stand. My grace is sufficient for you. Amen. And the angels broke in song, and they sang with a note higher than they had ever seen. And the saints rejoiced with the angels. And Jesus raised, as he was describing the vision, Jesus raises his hand and he raises his silver trumpet and he blows the trumpet. As he blew the trumpet, he looked at the graves and he said, awake, awake, awake. And the dead in Christ rose. Amen. I cannot wait for that day when I'm going to see my dad again being raised from the dead. I know you have lost your loved ones. I know you have your loved ones that you cannot wait to see that day. This is the moment that is going to be the most delightful moment when Jesus is going to fulfill that promise that death was swallowed by victory. And as he said, awake those dead in Christ rises from their graves and they join together with those that, uh, that were alive when Jesus comes. And she said, we were all changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we are all caught up together in the, in the cloud, like how we are told by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And she said, we started a journey for seven days going to heaven. I don't know the conversation that we're going to have during those seven days as we will be traveling to heaven. After the seven days were done, she said we got to the sea of glass. When they got to the sea of glass, let me share with you what she says. She says, Jesus, he gave us harps of gold and palms of victory. Here the sea of glass here, at the, here on the sea of glass, the 144,000 stood in perfect square. Some of them had very bright crowns, others not so bright. Some crowns appeared heavy with stars, while others had but few. All were perfectly satisfied with their crowns, and they were all clothed, in, all clothed with a glorious white mantle from their shoulders to their to their feet. Notice besides the crowns, notice that these people that were receiving crowns, they were all content. They were all satisfied with the reward. No one was jealous of the other person's crown. My dear brothers and sisters, I want to tell you there will be no room for jealous in heaven. We must learn to be happy for others. Paul said Apollos planted and, no, Paul says he planted and Apollos watered, but God gives, gives the increase. Someone might be blessed materially. Don't be jealous. God has a different blessing for you. 
On the sea of glass, God is going to give crowns that are different in the number of stars and in their brightness, and all will be content. And there you see that they're going to be wearing white raiment that is from the shoulders to the, to the feet. These people will not learn to dress well when they are on the sea of glass. Because Ellen White says the only thing that we're going to inherit from this planet is our character. And this is the character of Jesus Christ. This is not a sermon about dress, but I want to tell you as Jesus is going to convict you of other truths, he will show you how to be well clothed to be a representative of Jesus Christ whilst you are still here on this, on this planet. This has been a controverted subject. But here she says, they're clothed in white raiment from their shoulders to their, to their feet. Before we get to this quotation, she said Jesus takes this company of believers and he swings open the door to the, to the city, to the city that had pearly gates. And then when he swings open the door or the gate, they went in and she sees two trees at first. But she said, no, I looked closely. There were not two trees. It was actually one tree that had one trunk on the other side and one trunk on the other side. And at the top of the tree, of these two trees, they would combine to be one tree. So this is one tree that has two trunks on both sides of the river. And this river was coming from the throne of God and this river was the, was the river of, of life. And she says the fruit of this tree, they were like gold that is mixed with with silver, or some of them, they look like gold and some look like, like, like silver. And then she says here something that was really encouraging to me. She said, we all went under the tree and sat down to look at the glory of the place. When Brethren Fitch, you remember Charles Fitch that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, and Stockman, who had preached the gospel of the kingdom and whom God had laid in the grave to save them, came up to us and asked us what we had passed through while they were asleep. So in this vision, she sees these two brethren. And then she goes on to say, we tried to call, our, to, to call up our greatest trials, but they looked so small compared with the far more exceeding eternal weight of glory that surrounded us, that we, that we could not speak them out. And we all cried, hallelujah. Let's all say it. Heaven is cheap enough. And we touched our glorious harps and made heaven's arches ring. My dear brothers and sisters, the trials that we go through today will be exceeded by the amount of glory and the beauty that we're going to see that we are even going to forget how painful these trials were. Are you going through some trying times today? Go to, to the end of the Bible and read of the glories that Jesus has in store of us. I challenge you to go and read this vision in early writings, page, seven, page 17 or from page 14 to, to page 19. Heaven is cheap enough. She goes on to say, 
as they sang in heaven, as we come to a close, as they sang in heaven, Jesus said, it's now time to go back to earth. Of course, he skips a part where, where they were going to stay there a thousand years and the judgment that is going to take place there. Remember, this was their first vision. God would give him more visions and repeat and enlarge a lot of things that he would show to his church. She said, all the saints were put on a mountain. I don't know how big this mountain is going to be, but every single person that is going to come back to this planet Earth will fit on this mountain. The mountain descended from heaven to this planet Earth, and when it got here, it laid flat. This mountain laid flat, and they beheld the city of God coming down from heaven, and they rejoiced and shouted, that city, that glorious city, and the city came down from heaven, and it went on top of that, of, uh, of that plain. And then she says, she went into the city, and the city was so beautiful, and she said, after that city had come down, there I saw most glorious houses that had the appearance of silver, supported by four pillars set with pearls most glorious to behold. These were to be inhabited by the saints. Amen. In each was a golden shelf. I saw many of the saints go into the houses, take off their glittering crowns, and lay them on the shelf, then go out into the field by, by the houses to do something with the earth, not as we have to do with the earth here. No, no. A glorious light shone all about their heads, and they were continually shouting and offering praises to God. This is a beautiful picture, my friends. We don't have time to go over every single thing that she, she describes about this land. I'm going to share with you that after that, she was shown the temple. But before she, she was shown the temple of God, she said we went through the woods. These woods were amazing, wonderful woods that we thought that we would stay in them and have our comfortable places in there. It's different from what we have today. When you go camping, you have to take with yourself a bug spray because mosquitoes might ruin your camping experience. But she says in these woods, there was nothing like that. It was beautiful. And she saw the beasts, the animals, the lions, and different beasts. And she said the animals, they actually followed us when we were going to the Mount, Mount Zion. And she said when we got to the Mount Zion and we saw the temple of God there, Jesus stood there and she, he, he said, rise, raising his hand, only the 144,000 will be able to get into the temple. And though the 144,000 went into the temple, as they go into the temple, these who were outside, she repeats that they were content to wait outside the temple. And as they came out of outside the temple, they were standing there and Jesus left this group. And they were exploring, they were exploring and being just, being satisfied by the beautiful picture of this renewed planet Earth. And then she says, Jesus appeared again and he summoned his people to come with him. As they were going down the mountain, they saw this, this table. Let me go to, to this quotation that 
talks about the table. I want to, to read it for you. She says here, I saw, and I saw a table of pure silver. It was many miles in length, yet our eyes could extend over it. This is amazing. Many miles of this table, but she could still see where the table would go. I saw the fruit of the tree of life laid on the table, probably in plates. I don't know. We can have a sanctified imagination. The manna, the almonds, the figs, the pomegranates, grapes, and many other kinds of fruits. I asked Jesus to let me eat of the fruit. He said, not now. Those who eat of the fruit of this land go back to earth no more. But in a little while, amen, in a little while, if faithful, you shall both eat of the fruit of the tree of life and drink of the water of the fountain, he said. And he said, you must go back to earth again and relate to others what I have revealed to you. This is the part that was sad to me, and it was sad to her as well. And an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. Listen to what she says. Sometimes I think I can stay here no longer. All things of earth look so dreary. I feel very lonely here, and I have seen a better land. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then would I fly away and be at rest. She goes on to say on page 20, as we come to a close, on page 20, after I came out of, of vision, everything looked changed. A gloom was spread over all that I beheld. Oh, how dark this world looked to me. I wept when I found myself here and felt homesick. I had seen a better world and it had spoiled this for me. I told the view to our little band in Portland who then fully believed it to be of God. That was a powerful time. The solemnity of eternity rested upon us. My friends, I want to draw your attention to that line where she said, oh, how dark this world looked to me. She said, or she says there, that view had spoiled this one for her. My friends, when you look up to Jesus and when you look forward to this glorious land, you cannot but see that this world is not our home. This sinful world is not our home. It is my prayer this morning when you look into this description, I want to challenge you to go and read it again. When you look into this description, all this glitter and glamour that this, this world promises will become dark and dreary in your hearts and in your minds. That we would long to see Jesus coming in the clouds. That we would long for that land where there will be no pain, sorrow, no crying. It is my prayer. Is it your prayer this, this afternoon to be part of the kingdom that is going to come? Is it your prayer to be among these people?
that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You know that if Christ were to come today, there's something that is between you and him that will prevent you from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And you'd like to say with me this morning, Lord, renew my experience with you. You would like to open your heart to Jesus to give you strength. You'd like to open your heart to, to Jesus for him to do a work that he is always wanting to do in your heart. Because he said, I am at the door knocking. If any man hears my voice, I'll come in and sup with him. Probably you have not received Jesus as your personal savior. You're probably watching online. You might been, have been hurt by other brethren in the church and you said, I'm not going to step foot in God's church. And you want God to give you a spirit of forgiveness. You want Jesus to do a great work for you today. As we are going to sing our closing song, Let It Be Your Prayer. If you want to pray this prayer with me today, please stand as we are going to sing our closing hymn.